apostolate. Jesus says today, I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill the law. Many people in the world would like you to have to think that Jesus actually did come and abolish the law. They'll say things that all that matters is that you're nice to people, or Jesus suffered and died, um, so it doesn't matter what we do, we're saved. They say things like, don't judge and love is love. But today, Jesus makes it clear that his mission was not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He didn't do away with the Ten Commandments and the moral law. He actually raises the bar, raises the standard. He just doesn't want us to keep the law externally. He actually wants us to keep the law internally. Remember, before Christ, you could think all the bad thoughts you wanted in your mind as long as you didn't act on them. You could look but not touch. But is that really any way to live Kind of a rat in the cage, just, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. Jesus says today, you've heard that you shall not kill, but I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who has looked at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus fulfills the law. That by his grace, we don't just not sin, we don't even want to sin. That's the key. St. Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. That no, you are not now free to do whatever you want, but as Paul would say as well, you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So true freedom isn't license, license to do whatever we want. True freedom is for the good. True freedom is when we use our free will for what is good for us, right and just. This is what we see in the lives of the saints. They were the most free. They were most habituated to good virtue. Doing good came easy to them, and they were the most free. When I was in seminary, I took a class on fundamental moral theology, so the introduction to moral theology, the moral life. And to be honest, it changed my life. Because before, I had always thought of moral law, church teaching, the commandments as, okay, these are these things that you just got to do in order to make it to heaven. You know, these are kind of arbitrary things, rules you got to follow. And if you do these, God will be nice and he'll let you into heaven. But in that class, I realized something different. That the moral law, church teaching, are actually signposts pointing us towards our happiness, towards our fulfillment given to us by a loving Father. We have many moms and dads out there, right? And what you ask of your kids isn't like just arbitrary things because you like to see them do what you say. No, what you ask of them is for their good because you want their fulfillment, you want their happiness. So look at signposts even for, say you wanted to go to Yellowstone National Park. If you saw signs to get there, you wouldn't be, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, I don't want to be told what to do. No, you'd follow the signs because that's where you want to go. Same thing with our moral life and what the church asks of us. To trust more and more that they are signposts. It's what our loving Father asks of us because he wants us to be free. He wants us to be happy. 
So growing up, growing in the spiritual life, growing in holiness is about growing in freedom. It's about subduing our passions, having them under the influence of right reason. It's about having our disordered passions become rightly ordered. Because of original sin, we have a bent towards sin. We call that fancy word is concupiscence. It means that a lot of times our passions are disordered. They're ordered towards things that aren't good for us. But slowly by slowly, through prayer, monthly confession, going to Mass, voluntary acts of self-denial, our passions can become more and more rightly ordered. And so they're actually pushing us towards what is good for us, what is right and just. That I don't want what is bad for me, I actually want to do what is good. So some examples, a person driving cuts me off, and instead of flipping him the bird and cursing at him, I don't take it personal, but I rather stay calm and say a prayer for the guy. Or I see a beautiful woman walking by, instead of lusting after her, I see her as a sister in Christ, and I praise God for her beauty. Or being at a dinner party, maybe it's this afternoon at a Super Bowl party, offered lots of tasty food and drink. Instead of gorging myself and getting intoxicated, I don't even want to eat too much. I don't don't even want to drink to excess, maybe just a couple of drinks. So Jesus fulfills the law by giving us the grace, the ability, the power, not just to not sin, but to not even want to sin. To not just keep the law externally, but interiorly. That's the freedom that Christ offers us through grace. For freedom, Christ sets you free. Jesus goes on to say, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than to have your whole body thrown into Gehenna. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than to have your whole body go into Gehenna. Is Jesus speaking literally here? Obviously not, right? He doesn't want us to pluck out our eyes and cut off our hands. And I don't think any of you have taken him literally. That's good. You all have your eyes and hands. But he is speaking in hyperbole. Why? Because he's serious about this. He wants us to take him seriously. He may not want us to mutilate ourselves, but he is saying we should do radical things if that's what it takes to protect ourselves from sin and our loved ones from evil, from harmful influences. Jesus is challenging us today to protect ourselves and our loved ones. So I want to look at this passage, especially in regards to the Internet and social media today especially considering the access that our young people have to these things. None of our parents are malicious. I would never think that. But I think many of us can be conditioned by the ways of the world. We may be even a little naive at times. The amount of access, the unsupervised access that our young people have to the Internet, social media, and messaging is dangerous, and it's risky. Personally, I've been working with people who have been struggling with pornography addiction for 15 to 20 years, all because when they were 10 or 11 years old, they were exposed to it, and it was no fault of their own. 
There's the reality of social contagion. I don't know if you've heard this. Social media can influence people to do things they otherwise wouldn't. In particular, social contagion concerns teenage girls and the astronomic rise of girls never having any gender dysphoria before, but suddenly identifying as transgender. What happens is, adolescence, puberty can be difficult, challenging. I remember going through those ages. Some girls might feel awkward, not totally comforted in their skin. They may feel a bit excluded, out of place. And then when they see, especially through social media, people who identify this way being celebrated, welcomed, accepted, these girls who may struggle with their identity see that as a way to acceptance. And so instead of just getting through this rough time that most of them grow out of, they identify as transgender. And unfortunately, this leads many down the scary path that may include surgeries to perfectly healthy bodies. That's what we call social contagion. But if it's not that, there's just the risk of even, kind of even depression or other mental health issues. Think of social media. What do people post on social media? Do they post the bad things about themselves? No, they post the good things. They make themselves look great. Uh, got, they got it all together. They're going on trips. You know, they look great. They have those filters on the face, right? And so what do we do when we look at it? We're like, wow, I know my issues. I don't have it all together. And we see, wow, these people got it all together, and we feel bad about ourselves. They've done tests. Like, going to social media afterwards makes you feel worse, makes you feel worse about yourselves. So we need to do a better job protecting our children. Today, Jesus is asking us to take radical steps. And dads, fathers, I would say this ultimately falls on you. Your job is to protect your wives and children. Some of you have impressive gun collections. I've been over to your houses. I've seen these. And if someone tried to get in your front door, they wouldn't make it past the welcome mat, okay? But we can do a better job when it comes to the access, what's coming into our homes, through the internet, social media, what our kids are um, being exposed to. Should our children have their own smartphones and social media accounts? That's a question we need to consider. In fact, at the seminary now, for the first year, if a man enters a seminary, he has to turn in his phone and he gets a dumb phone, one of those flip phones, and he has to close his social media accounts. And he can only use the computer in a common computer room, you know, where everyone else is around. This is all for good reason. If our children have smartphones, then they should at least have these heavy internet filters and oversight, such as covenant eyes. You should hand, have them hand them to you at a certain time at night. And again, it's not because you don't trust them, it's because you don't trust other people. And I'll be fine to be the bad guy. Tell them that this is what Father Nick is saying that we should do to protect them. Steve Jobs, a lot of those, those tech guys, they have said that they wouldn't let their children uh, use those things or use them very minimally. So my friends, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to go to heaven with one of your members than to go to hell with your whole body. Jesus asks a lot of us, but it's for our good, it's for our freedom. And he gives us the ability, the grace, to do what he asks. 
And in the end, it's worth it, as we heard from St. Paul in our second reading. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the human heart what God has prepared for those who love him.